Welcome to the Holistic Healing Project, a podcast that explores how we can optimize our health, support our body's natural ability to heal, and deepen our relationships to ourselves, each other, and the planet. I'm your host, Dr. Laura MacDonald, and each week I'll be bringing you conversations with a range of experts and thought leaders to empower and inspire you on your own journey of healing. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're having a good week so far. It's lovely to have you here and I'm excited to bring you this week's conversation. So I'm chatting with Mary Huang, who is the head psychologist and founder of the Indigo Project, a progressive psychology centre in Sydney, Australia. The Indigo Project is actually way more than just a psychology centre. It is really a creative hub for experiencing mental wellness and mental flourishing. And in this conversation, we get into why Mary felt the need to set up the Indigo Project, her approach to mental health in terms of creativity through music, dance, breathwork, meditation, and lots of other practices that can really help us get back into our body. We also talk about the challenges of just simply being human with our monkey mind and how Mary has worked really hard to show up vulnerably and with a full heart for the people who attend the Indigo Project. And as someone who has been there, I've attended several workshops, it is really, truly beautiful to see somebody in that position just showing up and being fully human in all the messiness, you know, not holding anything back because I think so often there's a hierarchy in therapy or in the medical model and actually there's something really beautiful about just connecting with someone on a really deep human level. We also talk about how we can all tap into more purpose and meaning and Mary explains why she's not a fan of what she calls toxic positivity. We also talk about the beauty in the ordinary and how magical it is when you find your voice and really share your truth. Mary also offers us lots of practices to move from our head to our heart and other simple self-care practices that can really support you during this time. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. Just a note to say that this was recorded during lockdown. We were remote from each other and there is a slight bit of noisy traffic, especially at Mary's end, but I hope that's not too distracting. And I really recommend listening to the full conversation. I think you will gain a lot from it. I know I definitely did. And if you do enjoy it, please just take a moment to rate and review as that's really helpful. Hi, Mary. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. So you have been a huge inspiration for me in the world of mental health. Um, I came across the Indigo Project when I was over in Australia a few years ago. I was just blown away by the work you were doing, especially back then. We didn't have anything like that in the UK. For anyone who has never heard of the Indigo Project and who has no idea who you are, I would love for you just to explain to our listeners a little bit about your background and what led you to set up the Indigo Project. Sure. And thank you so much for your kind words. Um, I'm the head psychologist and founder of the Indigo Project, and it has been such a huge labor of love to create something in the mental health industry that I think that we all can connect with wholeheartedly and we can show up to be ourselves in this space. So, you know, it is sometimes a little bit of a hard concept to explain because I don't really think that anything exists that is similar. We have people from all around the world coming to our events and coming to therapy and Sydney is a very cosmopolitan city. So no one has ever really said to me, oh, this is kind of like what we have back at home in the UK or the US or in, you know, this place in the world. And so I'm always really heartened by people coming through and being surprised and inspired how much they can actually show up in the space and you know at the heart of it it is a creative approach to mental health we do have psychologists that work one-on-one um we have 12 rooms in a beautiful space that you know we're really trying to break the stigma of people coming to see therapists so if you think about what a therapist is like you know i've interviewed people and they've said the first word that comes to mind is boring old you know not relevant out of date 
who will just reflect back to me what I'm saying. And I think that's the model that we can just really, it just doesn't work anymore. And we need to be talking to people who are real people, who have got the battle scars of life, who aren't afraid to show up as themselves. And I think that's where true connection comes from is the ability to sit with someone who holds a safe space, but is also someone who has just walked the walk as well. So approachable, accessible, down-to-earth friendly psychologist is like, I guess, our core offering. And then we have this incredible space to be creative in how we're going to bring really beautiful concepts of the mind and psychological processes in in really interesting ways. So for example, I, I know that you've been to some events where we use music to teach people about their minds and to help them to feel all different types of emotions. So I've done a lot of research in the area of how music can help us to have cathartic experiences and also how can we use music and psychological processes to be embodied? How can we experience really tough things like death, forgiveness, letting go, self-love in a way that is captivating and interesting and that actually helps people to feel what a change it is in their bodies when they experience something that is actually quite difficult for them and that most people would tend to avoid. You know, I think at the heart of how I practice as a psychologist is that I absolutely believe that we can grow while feeling pain and that we should absolutely uncover all our skeletons in the closet and our monsters in our heads and we should shine the light of self-awareness on them. And through that, we can develop a really beautiful, warm cloak of self-acceptance and share that with the world around us. I've never really seen um, a therapist, psychologist, you know, psychiatrist, anyone really working in the mental health space opening up and talking about their own issues or their own struggles because historically it's we've kind of been been taught that there's I don't want to say a professional barrier but there's something there that kind of keeps you apart from your client or your patient and of course we show up and we're there for our patient or client but we're we're not wholeheartedly fully open and saying you know I'm also human but there's something about the way when you are on a panel or you're holding space and you also, you really let yourself be seen, which is so powerful. And I think automatically, you mentioned earlier, it's that vulnerability, it kind of breeds connection. And did that come naturally? Or, or as you mentioned, you feel like you're always working a little bit at opening up? I guess when I started work as a psychologist in the earliest days, I was working with street kids. So, you know, I came in as a fresh graduate with my book smarts and all of that. And that wasn't going to fly in a place where we're working with uh, young people from the streets. You know, this is where I had to let down my own walls of who I thought I was and my identity of being a psychologist and learned very quickly that I wasn't going to be successful in any way if I was going to come in with a sense of this is a very strict client relationship. So, you know, I think that was the real heart of where showing up and being vulnerable and being myself came from, which was bringing in people from creative spheres to hold workshops in music, in art, DJing, hip-hop, dance, and allowing those types of spaces to break down the walls of any type of hierarchical sense feeling in the room and talking about Jay-Z and rap and drugs and what young people and all of us, you know, this is, this is life, you know, it's messy and we're, nobody's perfect. And I think that's where the walls can truly come down. And I learned that if I was going to last a week in this place, I needed to be myself and I haven't had a perfect upbringing and I don't think anyone really has, but I've had my own struggles with drugs and alcohol, uh, getting enmeshed in relationships which don't serve me and finding them to be a great distraction of my life. 
And I think that's where we can really meet each other. That's the inspiration for Indigo was this doesn't have to be about what you are diagnosed with and it's not about finding a disorder within you. These are very human challenges that we have with the monkey mind, the monsters in the mind, with our ghosts from the past, our skeletons, our un- crazy emotions, all the gremlins that we have to deal with, you know, just these challenging, just these challenges that I think we can all relate to. And I think that's where mental health has kind of gone a little bit astray in that it's become a little bit of a medical model where people fit a diagnosis based on their symptoms and we are not truly looking at the cause, root cause of things, which is not just about how our experience is growing up, but also we need to look towards our culture and our society and to help, to help us to understand that it's hard for us. We live in a world that is a little bit anxiety kind of stimulating a lot. And I don't think anyone is really immune to that. So when we really understand the values that we have have been infiltrated, have been given to us, our expectations of ourselves, you know, we recognize really that, you know, we are in this boat together. We all feel pain. We all suffer. We all struggle with our minds. And that is 100% okay because that's something we can talk about and share and recognize within each other. Obviously, over the last... Well, decade really. For a long time, mental health was very much, there's a real stigma around it. And as that seems, you know, it seems that people are more open and we are talking about it much more. And places like the Indigo Project are really helping kind of bring those conversations forward. But do you think we're at risk of almost focusing on daily struggles that we all experience? You know, life is tough. We're going to all experience at some point anxiety and stress and worries. Sometimes I think, oh, I, I wonder whether we're almost at a tipping point of starting to claim everyone claim that they have anxiety or everyone claim that they have depression and obviously of course some people do but actually life itself um, we're going to have these messy emotions and I know that this is something that you're really interested in so I'd love to hear your your viewpoint on that. Absolutely. I think that, you know, when we think about mental health awareness campaigns that we have seen in the last 10 years, they do tend to point towards anxiety, depression, drug abuse, uh, alcohol abuse, schizophrenia. So they do tend to kind of err on the side of things that are diagnosable. So I think that people kind of get the sense that if they're feeling down or they're having a day where they feel anxious, that they're automatically fitting into some type of criteria which says that they have a disorder. And I think that is somewhat perpetuated in a somewhat mainstream medical model. They might go to their GP and say, I haven't been feeling good, you know, in the last week. And that perhaps they've been told that there is a problem with their minds and that taking an antidepressant is the thing that's necessarily going to fix that. Instead of perhaps looking at mental health as a more holistic kind of model where, first of all, we can definitely have days that are not so great and, you know, but if we're experiencing them for a longer period of time, perhaps that's something that we could look into. But that also mental health is is about what we're eating, you know, how much sleep we're getting, are we moving our bodies, are we working with our emotions, have we got good support structures, you know, have we got anything that we're excited about for the future. So it's, it's, there's so much to look at, I think, in an integrative and holistic approach, which I think that's so much about what you're about, is we can't just take a bad day and say, well, that's it. I'm broken. Um, you know, there's so much to us that I think there are so many elements we need to really pay attention to. And there is actually a lot of space for us to find joy and peace as well. And to look at a medical model that includes self-actualization and potential, not necessarily that we have to be bettering ourselves all the time, um, not to get into that cycle of I need to be better and self-improve all the time, but I think there's something about the mental health model 
which is problem focused and not necessarily looking looking at how can I identify my strengths and find meaning and purpose in this world through the things that I have experienced in my life. And I think when we look more grandly, it becomes less about the individual, but also about this kind of whole system that we are in. And that's when I think people can gain a little bit more perspective on their mental, emotional, physical health on all different levels. I de- yeah, I completely agree. And I don't know, have you read a, there's a wonderful book by Johan Hari called Lost Connections. Have you come it's across it? It's one of it? my favourite books. It's brilliant, isn't it? And it really speaks to what you were just saying about, actually, let's look at the system rather than saying, you know, this person has anxiety or depression um, because maybe they've got an imbalance in their brain chemistry. Actually, let's look at what's going on in their life. Maybe they're really lonely and loneliness, I, you know, with the COVID pandemic at the moment I think it's for many people bringing up a lot of feelings of loneliness and disconnection but it was already there anyway it was it's just unmasked something that was already going on so how are we going to and how can we really start to connect to our wider communities because obviously when when we are hopefully going to start coming out of lockdown soon and there's going to be this amazing opportunity and and we spoke at the beginning before I, I press record that actually many of us have kind of got used to our lives quite being quite insular and I know I've definitely become a bit of a hermit and I've I'm, as an introvert I'm enjoying my downtime but obviously we know it's so important to connect with people and reach out so how do you think we can go about just building deeper connections with people? You know, it's, it's interesting you when know, you talk about loneliness and I think it's important for people to recognise that loneliness is not a function of how many people they know or their age necessarily because I think people have the perception that it's only something that happens when you get older. And, you know, I, I think that connection starts from within and particularly during this time of COVID, I think there has been such a big pause that people have been forced to look at their own relationships with themselves and how they find validation in this world. So as we move forward, you know, as our kind of societies and our doors start to open again, we must reflect upon our personal needs, what needs actually have been met by this last few months of being in isolation and what needs have been missing that were actually obvious to us even before COVID hit. So as we move forward in our lives, you know, connection is found with people that we can trust. I always remember what my therapist told me. He said, you only need one or two people and I want you to go out there and I want you to deepen your connection with them by sharing your feelings. And it sounds really simple, but at the time that I heard that, I thought it was the most terrifying thing that he could ever say was to talk about my feelings and to not expect that anyone should have to offer me advice, not to have to offer advice back, to really allow an opportunity for a space where we can feel together. And that was kind of interesting to me. He said, you know, I've got this guy that I catch up with once a week. Sometimes we talk, sometimes we just cry together. And I thought that was revolutionary. I was like, this is amazing. Cause sometimes as, in, as, a, as an introvert myself, I've often felt that sometimes connection can be a little bit draining. And especially when yeah, you're in I a field. I definitely feel the same. Yeah, when you're in a field like ours, I think we revert back to a default mode of helping others, being present for others, holding space for others, sometimes deflecting our own feelings in lieu of hearing others. And I think we all need to recognise if we're one of those people, what we're getting out of it, you know, are we dismissing our own needs and putting other people's needs first, which is, you know, not a terrible thing, but when it doesn't allow us to truly be seen by those around us, I think it's something that we can improve in doing. Mm. Out of interest, were you seeing that therapist before you set up the Indigo Project? The idea of sharing your feelings, was that something that he instilled in you? It was in my early days. 
So he's been there for a pretty big journey of it and unraveling all my unconscious desires to be seen through external validation as opposed to just recognizing that with or without the Indigo Project, I'm enough and I'm okay. So I think as I move forward, you know, I I think this period for me has actually been a really interesting time. Even prior to COVID, I had already been asking myself some pretty big questions after my dad passed away two and a half years ago. What is important? What is meaningful? How do I want my life moving forward? And how am I going to honor his death? Because at the time that he passed away and the period while he was sick, I was really caught up in being successful and being there for others and really neglected myself. You know, sometimes it takes a a while to start to unravel some of the habits that you've had since childhood, really. I think it's becoming aware of them to begin with, isn't it? Sometimes we can live our whole lives not even aware of our habits and they're so ingrained. Um, So yeah, getting that perspective on it. As we move forward, I think it's The million-dollar question is how are you going to live a sustainable life within yourself, within understanding what emotional energy is and how to keep an eye on that kind of internal petrol tank in a way, what relationships nourish you, what relationships drain you, what are the things in your life that you want to keep and let go of. These are huge questions that I think everyone is really has an opportunity to answer right now. I know that when I had cancer, when whenever you're faced with mortality, whether it's your own or someone else's death, of course, these big questions come up and they definitely came up for me as well. I was really forced to consider how, you know, was I aligned? Was I doing the job I wanted to be doing? Was I surrounding myself with the people that brought me alive? Um, there was so much that came up. And what's been interesting is, you know, this was four or five years ago now and at the time when they came up, I thought, oh, this is, I'm going to get so much clarity and I'm going to have all the answers suddenly rush in. But what I realized is it's really an ongoing journey and things are evolving all the time and shifting and changing. So I've had to learn to be patient with the journey. Um, I think that sometimes you think you're going to have this moment of clarity and the kind of clouds are going to part and you're going to know exactly what your purpose is and and it doesn't work like that, does it? I don't know whether you've experienced the same, but I feel that it's very much a journey. Absolutely. I think I wanted the answers all to come at once and to have a new direction in life and a new lease on life and just head down this new pathway. But I think there is a lot that grief brings up that first you need to sit in some uncomfortable emotions of how things potentially haven't been working for you and then unravel those knots of letting go. And the answers, they don't come all at once. You get little hints of them when you don't have much emotional energy through a loss or grieving process, which a lot of us are going through now because of COVID, you might only have a little bit of energy for one or two friends or, you know, one or two activities and one or two projects as opposed to the 10 plus that we used to have before felt obliged to or felt that we were responsible for. And that's kind of pulled a lot of that away for a lot of people now. And I think our purpose really, you know, our purpose starts with a little everyday actions, being a good friend, showing up for ourselves, asking ourselves how we're feeling, allowing our emotions, you know, little things, moving our bodies and just finding a community and sharing. So I think sometimes people think that purpose has to be this big grand thing where they're saving the world and all the dolphins and whatnot. <laughs> But, you know, that is for some people and, and, and really I think it, it kind of just stems from using your skills to improve your life and the life of those around you and that could be in a family unit, it could be just with your partner and that's a really, really beautiful thing. Mm. Yeah, that's such a lovely message. I know something that I need to hear again and again because I so often am searching for that, that purpose that singular purpose that, you know, must be for me. But of course, that's not the way it works. And we can have so many different purposes in our lifetime as well. And it's just remembering that and remembering, yeah, they don't need to be these grand, 
big purposes. They can just be simple. And I love that you said it can just be spending time with your partner or showing up in your job or showing up however you need to show up in that day. And it might just be getting up for yourself and focusing on some self-care and that can be purpose as well. That's really lovely. Absolutely. I mean, we sometimes I think we need to ask ourselves the question, why do I think I need to have a bigger purpose than, you know, being in my life every day? And maybe it's a what I call a bit of a cultural phenomenon that there is a sense that, you know, even from a very young age, what are you going to be when you grow up? And then you grow up and you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. And we get a sense that unless we have a very fully formed identity with a very strong purpose, that we are somewhat inferior or not good enough in some way. So when we look at what about if I didn't feel like I needed to have a big purpose and that things were just around the corner, if I could let go of that, what are some of the emotions that kind of come up? If I were like, if I let them go, would there be relief? Would there be insecurity? Would I, who would I be if I didn't have a big purpose in my life? Is that, could that be freeing or is that scary for some people? And I think it it could be a little bit of a mixture of both when you just say, I give you permission not to have a huge purpose in your life, except showing up in your life every day and saying, hey, I think that could uh, let people off the hook a little bit. Definitely. I think it's something that causes many people a lot of stress and worry, kind of searching for a purpose. I'm sure a lot of people will um, appreciate what you've just said. So the other area I wanted to ask you, kind of the flip side, well, it kind of goes hand in hand really with purpose, but is the idea of meaning Mm. and life having meaning and experiences having meaning and even maybe adversity and challenges having a sense of meaning. And I know there's lots of different ways to explore that, but I mm. imagine with your, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but with your dad's death and other experiences you've had in your life, it's human nature to almost want to search for meaning in the mess. Um, so I'd love to hear what you think of that, because I know that's certainly something that I've I've been doing. So I'd love to hear, yeah, if that's something you Absolutely. I mean, it is, it is a very unique thing that we can do to ascribe meaning to the situations in our lives and in some way this goes back to our ability to somewhat have a choice in how we perceive and see things especially the challenges and the adversities that have been in our lives and if we see meaning in a way as a creative task that in creating meaning in our lives we are writing a chapter of our lives in a book that we are like a screenwriter and we're deciding what happens next. There are stories that are tragedies and there are stories of triumph and celebration. And that comes down to perspective and not necessarily that perspective is easy, but we do know that from the research that if when people go through challenging times, like really challenging times that there is a phenomenon called post-traumatic growth and that changes happen in three areas of a person's life. They change their self-concept, that is they believe that they can be more resilient when future things come their way, their relationships change, they they have much more focus and they prioritise those relationships and they also shift in their priorities in life. They cut out the fat and all the stuff that just filled their lives but didn't necessarily add a lot of nourishment or value. I think more often than not, people are finding meaning because it's a choice, you know, and I think people are recognising with more and more information coming up about mindfulness and the ability to choose how we think or feel about certain situations or shift it or transform it. There is that beauty in coming towards things that have been challenging and understanding how it has shifted a person's values and priorities. And I think that we have kind of gone from a place where we, I guess, believe in some way that we need to have it all and be all. There's a sense that maybe there was an idea that was given to us that we had to fulfill so many things, be a good mom, be this, like, 
be successful in our careers, change the world. And I just think that that's starting to really be broken down now, that sense that we need to be everything. And people are being asked, like, what are a few values that you really want to focus on, a few priorities that you want to focus on, because that is what is going to help you to to really go with the meaning that is found in, in challenging situations. It's, you're kind of forced to, really. Yeah, and I know you've been busy working on a book which explores all of this. Is, have you finished the book now? Is it still... Yeah, I've kind of finished it a couple of times. I'm in the third edit, which on my laptop it's about the thousandth edit. It is a book that is is called Darkness is Golden. It's looking at the things that we find hard to face, challenges, adversities, the parts of us that we disown and want to push away from, and how we can find beauty and gold in that, how we can actually discover a sense of meaning through the difficult things and actually how to do that because I think it's easy to say well let's look at that situation and find a silver lining but there's a whole pathway to that which involves us recognizing and feeling some of the things that have been difficult instead of perhaps prescribing to what I call toxic positivity you know I'm going to be overly grateful for this situation that happened in my life the day after it happened and I should feel good about this and I should be happy Um, we really need to move away from the idea that we need to be happy all the time, that it is about emo diversity, that having a rich, you know, deep, complex emotional life is what we want to be moving towards. And they're the most interesting people to talk to. They're like, like I said, they've got the battle scars, they wear their hearts on their sleeves. You know, they're not afraid to kind of say it how it is. And I think there's absolutely that person in everyone Uh, I think this pathway is not about being a different person. It's really discovering who you've always been this time and letting go of the patterns and conditioning that has been with us through difficult experiences. Yeah, and I think that every time you do go through a challenging experience, there's a layer that kind of is peeled back. And I know for myself, at least, I've definitely felt that you know, I'm not there yet. This is very much an ongoing journey. But every time I go through something difficult, I feel a little bit closer to my true self. And yes. there's something really liberating in that. Um, I feel just more grounded and more at ease with who I am, which maybe is just a part of getting older as well. I'm sure there's something about just <laughs> adding a few more years. It's a really interesting process, this peeling I, back. Yeah, I believe that what you're speaking to is a sense of coming into your authentic self. And I think when you peel away the preconceived notions of how you should be in this world, be happy, you know, like positive and all those things and come into a sense that, oh, you know, I've just been through stuff and sometimes it's hard and it kind of grounds you in acknowledging and accepting that challenging feelings are okay. And I think that's, I think that's being authentic is it's the path of self-development is not necessarily about improvement so that we get rid of negative emotions and eliminate the effects of difficult circumstances in our lives, but to honestly be like a, a real witness to ourselves. And I think that really breeds a sense of showing up in our lives rain, hail, storms, thunder, and letting that be okay. I just, I talk about my therapist a lot, but he's had such a big, huge influence on me. And he says, you know, sometimes it is hard to come into a sense of being very ordinary. Because <laughs> I say, sometimes this is really painful, peeling all the layers back. And I was like, when am I going to start feeling better? And he's like, it's not about feeling better, Mary. You know, it's about being authentic. And that's what's happening is you're becoming a more authentic being. And you're going to have to sit with being ordinary and not having to be that identity that you, you know, you built over the, over the years. And what you might find is this beauty in the ordinariness, you know, just the little things that happen during the day and the rustling of the leaves and just the moments where you're like, I'm not being anything, I'm not doing anything, I'm not trying. And there's that contentment that comes from being a real person 
Mm, I love that. Yeah, celebrate the ordinariness, mm-hmm. both in ourselves and just around us. I think there's definitely something to be said for that rather than always searching and seeking, just instead kind of coming back to ourselves, definitely. Absolutely. So the, so the kind of goal of the book um is is that the main goal is just to explore the messiness of being human? I, I say just that's obviously <laughs> the, the the biggest topic, but it's to this explore the way that we have all of these emotions and that actually it's just all part of being human. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I guess it's life is messy because challenging things happen that we don't expect, but it's also messy because of the way that our mind interprets things. So I think we must explore both the challenging experiences, the impact that it's had on our lives, the emotions that have been unmet, the needs that have been unmet by certain dynamics in our relationships and how that can lead us to form a different relationship with ourselves that is less judgmental and more kind and compassionate. So at the heart of it, there is this huge piece around how are you in relationship with yourself and how do you live your life? Is it in connection and in alignment with your own values and priorities? And Or how do we need to potentially strip away some of the ideas that you have of what it means to live an authentic, successful life? And so, you know, there are audio experiences like the death meditation There are experiences to let go of challenging experiences in the past, such as difficult relationships where we go through a forgiveness process. And all of these processes are supported by music to help us to get in contact with our emotions. Because at the, I guess at the end of the day, you know, getting in contact with our emotions is an opportunity for us to develop self-acceptance. When we reject our emotions, we're essentially rejecting ourselves. And that's a huge piece. They're not just arbitrary things. They're parts of us. And we're looking to really integrate into a whole self, not disowning, not rejecting, but really giving love to all the different parts of us. Mm, I love that. So important. So I cannot wait. When does the book come out? Have you got a release date, a launch date? I do. It's uh, going to be at the beginning of the year. So it's going to be really great for everyone coming out of this challenging period and looking towards how they can move forward in a way that's sustainable. And have you actually enjoyed the writing process? You've alluded to there being lots and lots of edits, which I'm sure is just part and parcel of it. But have you enjoyed it? Has it been cathartic for you to write about this? When I say you can grow through feeling pain, this is something I know very well through the process of writing the book. I don't know if I would say that I enjoyed it, but I would say that I'm learning a lot about myself through that. And I often say that I call, we all call in the lessons that we're asking for. So when I say I want to understand myself better and I want to understand what, you know, my future looks like and how I can grow, then, you know, life often brings us the exact thing that we need to discover (laughs) who we are. And there's been a lot of self criticism coming up and expectations of myself to be this incredible writer despite really not having written much before this at all. A good friend of mine said, you know, so much of this is about just trusting. Is it your truth? Is it something that is is coming from your heart? Because self-comparison is what is good, what is bad. Self-comparison and that self-criticism is only coming when you Uh, judging yourself against others so keep coming back to is this the truth that you want to share is this coming from your heart that's the biggest journey I think is me going from my head to my heart and I think that's the biggest journey that all of us are going to take is that journey sinking down into this is it Mm, definitely I spoke with a friend earlier today and she was just asking how I was we're catching up I'm obviously in Australia at the moment she's in the UK And I just, the only thing I had to say really was I'm spending too much time in my head. I really need to drop down into my body and into my heart because I think for many of us at the moment, we've almost got too much time on our hands and we can really get caught up in those loops and like you said, inner critic or whatever it is that's coming up for you or just overthinking. Um, And I really notice when I have left my body 
And so mm. I'm purposely at the moment, I walked along the beach earlier, no shoes on, kind of just trying to ground myself. And I sat and meditated and did some breath work. And just, I'm really trying to get myself back into my body because I feel it. I feel that kind of slight anxiety and just disconnection building when I'm not doing those practices. So I'd love to know, do you have any practices that really help you to kind of get back into your heart, get back into your body? Absolutely. Um, music is my absolute go-to. I think we all just need a pair of headphones and some music that we know either what is the intention for what we're listening to. So personally for me, I I listen to a lot of ambient music because I find that there's not a lot of words to distract us and melodies that kind of take me away from being in my body. I tend to choose music that um, that resonates on an emotional level for me because I know how difficult it is for me just to sit in my emotions. I need a little bit of help with that and I, I find that a lot of my clients and people in my community also really resonate with the tool of music being able to really access our emotions in a very uh, quick way. And so pair of headphones three or five songs that connects me back to myself even quicker than, you know, just than journaling for me. It allows me space to cry and grieve, which I think just has to be something that we get more comfortable with that particularly now we are grieving and we've experienced a lot of loss and those emotions are going to be a huge kaleidoscope and roller, you know, roller coaster of emotions from, Sadness, anxiety, guilt, shame, anger, hope, acceptance, then kind of back around in circles and circles. So giving people a framework to understand and sit with just the whole kind of spectrum of emotions is really important and and moving. You know, sometimes I do some little weird little interpretive dances in my bedroom. Nobody is watching Nobody can ever see me. But I did go to five, I, you know, pre-COVID I would go to five rhythms. Oh, and, great. I um, love five rhythms. Yeah, just kind of let loose and dance with grief and dance with my loss. Uh, these are very, very powerful practices when we dance not to be beautiful or to be pleasing for others, but to shift, you know, emotions that are held within our bodies and, uh, I think they're two of the most important things that we can do is feel, learn how to feel and then move through those feelings and talk to Mm. them. And for anyone right now who's been listening, who is maybe struggling with anxiety either, because I appreciate many people would already have had mental health issues before coronavirus and COVID and the, the whole lockdown situation and things will have really been potentially exacerbated for some people. And then other people may never have experienced any kind of anxiety, but this has really brought up anxiety, grief, you know, the whole spectrum of emotions. So do you have any, I know it's probably difficult to just give blanket advice, but have you got any top tips really for just helping support people right now and beyond? Absolutely. You know, firstly, understanding that kind of framework, that your emotions will be kind of all over the shop. I think is that's one of the most comforting things about understanding the you know the grief and loss cycle is that we feel so much. So one day you can feel okay, and the next day you can feel uh, really unsettled. So that helps people to feel not feel as though they're somewhat failing on their journey and that they're doing something wrong. But in fact, it's just a very normal part of the process. Allowing people to feel. You know, I think when we get in contact with our emotions and we're feeling a little bit anxious, acceptance, honoring, talking to our emotions sounds a little bit weird. But if you say, hey, do you have a little message for me? Like what's going on? We can identify things like I am feeling scared. I'm feeling like I don't know what to do. I'm not feeling good enough. And again, that gives us the opportunity to breed a sense of self-compassion towards ourselves. It's totally okay for you to feel anxious. It's okay that you feel lost or sad at the moment. So the acknowledgement of and giving ourselves permission to feel that is huge. 
sharing that, sharing the vulnerability, oh, you know, that's hard, but we do have at least one or two friends that we can deepen our relationship with and say how we're feeling too. And I think that is a huge thing that we have to remember is that I think people at this time don't really want to feel like a being, they're being a burden on others because they know that everybody else is having a really hard time. And I always think everyone's doing so much better than I am. But as soon as I open up to someone, like there's just some sense of relief around being seen. So, you know, I have a whole hodgepodge of things that I do, hot showers, oh my goodness. We have to really find creative ways when we're in the house to create an environment that connects us to our bodies and been doing little online yoga classes and meditations yeah you know I think we just gotta use our whole little tool bag of of um techniques to help us to kind of get come back into the moment yet also reflect upon perhaps if these feelings have been coming up even prior to COVID or been masked by our busy schedules where does that come from you know, just as Johan Hari said, he's like, well, what are these experiences in your life that have led to some of the feelings of depression and anxiety that you're experiencing now? Are you lonely? Are you not getting your needs met? Are you not feeling as though you're getting respect in your work, you know, or connection in your relationships? What's actually going on there? And I think there's a deeper inquiry that I think we have the opportunity to dig into a little bit there it's going to be different for everyone yeah my hope is that of course this is a such a challenging situation but that actually this pause will have given us all like you said time to reflect on our values and consider whether our needs are being met and then actually going forward really start to flourish and bloom maybe some of us were you know maybe sleepwalking through our lives or just not truly connected to ourselves so for anyone who is looking to to kind of just come out with a a deeper connection to themselves a deeper connection to the world are there any practices that you yourself recommend or use to just tap into I guess what I'm talking about is a deeper sense of aliveness Mm. Um, something you know what I'd love to know what brings you alive what do you recommend to really tap into energy and flow and just joy I guess as well I'm so glad that you brought that up because I think we can often focus on how do we shift uncomfortable emotions but how can we actually build and really um, cultivate emotions such as joy and awe and wonder um you know in my personal practice has been a lot of what we, what we call meta meditation which is the you know i guess a sense of sending an energetic type of love and thankfulness and compassion to people that we love in our worlds i do that often before i go to sleep because it feels amazing i'm also very analytical so if you let me just think about whatever I want to I'll start thinking about ways I'm going to start a new project so you know I've kind of trained myself when I go to bed I'm going to send love to others and I'm also going to do a little bit of visualization around what I want to bring into my future so my latest thing has been building a sustainable life but I think I kind of want to have a little retreat in the country where we can kind of hold small groups, eight to 10 people, do a little bit of the deeper work. So every night I've been kind of going to bed and I've been thinking, at least if I can't see the images, I see the image of people sitting around a fire and it feels so nice because I'm like, oh, my brain's kind of like, yes, I miss this. And the brain doesn't know the difference between imagination and reality. So it's, it's fantastic. I'm getting these you know, really beautiful feelings of belonging and trying to connect with the feeling you know, I'm excited about this possibility of how I'm going to live my life differently. And I'm using the opportunity before I go to bed to kind of seed some of that deserving belief that I deserve this, belief that it's going to be okay, uh, seeding that value into my visualization. And that is the practicing, I guess, of 
these cultivation of beautiful feelings. We can send them out to others, but we can also kind of send them to ourselves in a way through visualization. Mm, definitely. Yeah. The visualization is so powerful. And like you said, it's really about feeling it in your body and um, seeing it and believing it as if it's true, as if it's already happened, which is so powerful. I actually read, you mentioned um, the, the emotions of awe and wonder, and I've just finished reading a incredible book called Fluorescence by Julia Baird, I think her name is. Yeah, and, I've seen the um, book. Have you seen it? It's a beautiful cover. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And I just recommend everyone reading it because it's really interesting. There was a lot that resonated with me because she also had cancer and went on this big journey of kind of going into this this darkness and then actually emerging um, back into the light. But she talks so much about awe and wonder as emotions that we tend to actually ignore a little bit. We don't really place that much on them and yet they are the emotions that when you are in the darkness that actually really really help you and I know that was definitely the case for me and I mean I've forever been obsessed with sunsets but even more so now and they just fill my body with this incredible energy that I try and hold on to you know it's that kind of energy you want to tap you know kind of bottle up and and have but it's so so powerful I think what I love about the Indigo Project and the way that you're not just focused only on mental illness and mental issues, it's actually this mental flourishing and this coming mm. aliveness that I think that we we need as well. We we tend to, there's, it's either one or the other and the other option for a long time has been quite masculine with self-development, and, you know, kind of really striving to be the best possible version, but it's felt very... I don't know, it just I hasn't, hasn't really resonated with me. And I, I feel that there's this lovely feminine kind of wave coming through, which is this, this softer feelings of, yeah, words like, I guess, flourishing and awe and wonder, just tapping into that. Absolutely. A bit of ebbing and flowing as opposed to a really aggressive approach to self-improvement or this idea that life should just be something that we take and mould to our you know our liking I think there's just this relationship that we need to have with life and nature and the cycles and the mystery of life and the unknown which is really a beautiful thing that we can't know everything but we can be curious and I think that's what opens up us to possibilities that's such a lovely place to to end really honestly Mary thank you so much I I just am in awe of you I think that you are such a beautiful example of what it is to share authentically and really the way you just are with, with people, it, it gives them that safe space to be seen and let themselves be fully, fully themselves. So I think, yeah, just amazing. Thank you so much for being with me here today and yeah, just sending you so much love. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you ever so much for listening to our conversation today i really hope you enjoyed it and as always if you did please take a moment to rate and review and if you'd like to connect head on over to the holistic healing project instagram or my website which is dr lauren mcdonald and i really look forward to connecting with you in the future Please remember that whilst I am a qualified medical doctor, I am not your medical doctor. So whilst we often talk about health and well-being and we give out tools and tips and sometimes discuss topics that are a little bit fringe or alternative, this is very much for information only. It is not individual medical advice. So please, if you have any health concerns, make sure you go and see your own practitioner.